Hey, Film Files. Happy day to everybody. We're back, and uh, it's going to be an intimate night tonight. I'm Jimmy Malone. Hey, I'm Ben Snowden. And you're listening to 90.7 WAZU. If you have never listened to us before, thanks for giving us a try. I hope you have fun. I hope you like it. And if you don't like movies, just turn it off now, because you're not going to like it, I promise. And if you didn't like 1996, you're also probably not going to like this, because we chose... The Phantom, a starring Billy Zane. This is Movie Show Theater. Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What do you want? You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. What's your favorite scary movie? Have you ever seen a grown man naked? Now, globby, bottle of cheap, stinking chip oil! You warthog-faced... Half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder! This is... Theater. So, Ben chose The Phantom... And I uh, had seen it a long time ago, but I guess I'll let... Me too. It's been a while. I'll let Ben explain why he chose The Phantom, his inspiration. My inspiration was, you know, after seeing Captain America Civil War and after the last episode that we recorded, we did get into a lot of talk about superhero films. And even though it's nice to have Marvel doing what they're doing, and it seems like what with DC's doing it's a little bit up in the air with their cinematic universe. It'd be nice to go back and look at a time where basically superhero films, if you even want to call this one that, it's more of like a he's more the Phantom's more of a crime fighter. It we'll get to that too, but it's it's nice to go back to an era where you just expected big dumb fun and really not a whole lot of logic. Yeah. You don't really need logic to watch the Phantom. In in fact I suggest if you want to have a good time watching The Phantom, you turn off your logic switch because they throw everything and the kitchen sink and submarines <laughs> and horses and wolf dogs and rope people, everything in the and world is in there. tanks with sharks. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I thought it was a fun movie. We've, ta- we've talked about time and the way that nostalgia kind of preserves a movie in your mind. And even, like, for me personally, it's movies like... Congo and Face Off, which all came out around the same time, and like Con Air and The Rock. And I feel like before 1997, movie audiences didn't require you, we were we were e- easy to please. We were maybe more accepting to just like believe everything that we're told and shown. Plus, you know, like, too, you know, the the internet wasn't as prevalent, so exactly you probably wouldn't get news that you do like today where hey you had this pre-screening and you know people hated it you probably wouldn't really get that like you do today like now they have people watching movies and five minutes later they're going to twitter and they're sending tweets about one of the ones that's been um more recent a suicide squad a lot of positive tweets about that back in 1996 uh aol instant messenger i don't know right <laughs> i know yeah i don't I, I was going back and forth with this movie because it, and I don't know. I did a little bit of research on the comic, and uh, you know, it's it's more of like a, a swashbuckling adventure film 
is what they were going for. The the opening scene with the bridge was almost too Indiana Jones for me. Which is interesting because um, Simon Winsor, the director, before he did this film, directed episodes of Young Indiana Jones. Oh, yeah. So it kind of makes makes sense sense. they would draw on him because, okay, so he has experience with a blockbuster because he directed Free Willy. Yuck. Yeah, (laughs) But, but undeniable a blockbuster. So they're probably like, okay, we are trying to... When I was writing notes while I was watching this, and it was about the midway point, I put down some points of reference, and the points of reference were Indiana Jones is just screams at with opening scenes, any scene in the jungle. Um, Batman was one because of the vehicles. It's 1930s. This is more of like the Tim Burton Batman films where uh, with the, the scenery in the city, it's kind of a throwback. And then... Dick Tracy and the Shadow, I think, are yeah. ones, too, where uh, you look at the dress, you know, the overcoats, the hats, and then the Shadow being another one where it's like a hero from the 1930s. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know that the Shadow had actually made a decent amount of money at the box office. So that's another thing that probably oh, yeah. got this film greenlit. Yeah, because that was like 94, 95. Yeah, I think the international gross, like overall gross for the world was $48 million, So that's mm-hmm. pretty good considering it was 1994. Yeah. I noticed that this, the Phantom, the budget was forty-five million, and the box office was like seventeen million. So, I mean, you couldn't. I I wrote down some of my favorite lines. Uh, As did I, but there were so many. <laughs> I know, right? But like, so Ben mentioned the shadow. The time period is basically the same. I think the overall awareness of the Phantom, like the Phantom's history and the Shadow's history, is probably about the same. I mean, the sh- the Shadow started as a radio show, but. I love the shadow, and I still love the shadow. Not because it's a you know by cinematic conventions a good movie, but I watched it all the time when I was a kid. So it's almost like um, invincible in my mind. No matter how many times I watch uh, Congo or The Shadow, I like refuse to look at the ridiculous parts of that movie. I'm like, nope, it's great, it's awesome. It's perfect and, just the way it is. Yeah, exactly. And the Phantom is definitely not. But no. the the thing with the Phantom that I I had sent Ben a text and uh mentioned that the movie doesn't kinda doesn't really know what it wants to be. Not at um, all. I mean it's too funny to be taken seriously, but there's not enough puns to be taken too lightly. Yeah. Like there's a lot of times where somebody will set Billy Zane up for a great pun or a great one liner. And he just doesn't say anything. The screenplay is definitely the weak point of this. Not that anyone's looking for anything groundbreaking, probably for going into the shadow with the reputation that it has. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a couple of them, like, what is this? A ship full of women? Or, your dog's a wolf. No one argues with the Phantom and wins. Stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You, you, Especially during that era, because <laughs> you think about... This was, you know, this could be considered mid to late 90s, depending on your view. But, you know, this was the era of the action movies that had the one-liners. But this one, I mean, I wrote these down, but I don't know if I would really remember these lines unless I wrote them down. I mean, even taking it back a step, like this one didn't gross a lot of money and it probably was, you know, horribly reviewed at the time. But I think even down to marketing, they probably didn't know what to do because when I looked at IMDb, the... 
cover for the film was just, you know, Billy Zane is a phantom. He's holding his ring up and it says, Slam Evil! Exclamation point. Yeah. That has nothing to do with the film. I know. I never understood that Slam Evil. I remember the VHS box had the uh, holo- holographic uh, oh, case yeah. that it looked like his fist was coming at you. Plus to uh, talk about, you know, a convoluted plot. So this scene that opens the film, it just whisks you away. There's this boy <laughs> who's on the pirate ship, and, you know, there's this Singh Brotherhood. The Singh Brotherhood uh, kills his father. This boy is, you know, he escapes, and he arrives on this island, and there's a shaman, and there's a tribe, and then the boy vows to avenge his father, and then the movie just throws you right into the action after that. But uh, it's it's definitely one of those deals where that could be something that was explored more. I mean, the movie is a little bit long, at an hour and 40 minutes because they throw so much stuff in there. But that part could have been important to the film. Instead, they kind of rushed that, and it's one of those deals where they're telling rather than showing, so you're kind of confused through most of the film until they explain it, even though there is some stuff that I just kind of inferred that is explained at the way end of the movie. There's mm-hmm. there's a ghost dad. Yeah. <laughs> there's a ghost yeah, dad. Cause, and I think that's a good point, too, because the story is not terrible. And, like, the idea of the superhero uh, is is... It's for sure got potential, and I do respect any director that doesn't feel the need to, if they're going to make any sort of comic book or uh, superhero adaptation, they don't have to go and explain the origin every time, like the way Sony Pictures feel like they had to do with every Spider-Man movie that they did. And every time that there's a reboot of the Batman franchise, hey guys, let's just mention 19 times that his parents were killed. Yeah, I think we know by now as a viewing audience. And I guess the guy Drax was a teeny tiny villainous role in an early Phantom comic. So without having any other context on the series, I, I like that. I, if you're not a fan of the comic, you at least did your research, so yeah. that's cool. But I wanted it to be, you know, in the 90s, the R rating was pretty pretty much box office poison, and I think still was up until fairly recently. And yeah. Jerry Bruckheimer was one of the few directors that actually uh, went all out with it because The Rock and Con Air could not be rated PG-13. Yeah, there'd be no way. There'd be no way. But I kept wanting, like, an R-rated version of The Phantom. Every, like, ten minutes, I'm like, God, if they went, like, a Dread route, that would be cool. Well, especially because he has two guns and he barely ever uses them. I mean, the first time he uses the gun, there is – he has a little buddy like Indiana Jones does. And what was his name? Like, Zach? Uh, Short Round Jr. Short Round Jr. (laughs) Let's call him that. So there's this truck in the middle of the bridge. And, of course, the bridge is all topsy-turvy to where they're turned upside down. And the first time the Phantom uses one of his cool guns is just to shoot the rope so he can swing. And, by the way, my favorite shot is when they kind of do slow motion mid-swing, and it just looks so awkward like he's going to fall off the rope. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's yeah. Almost, he's, he's horizontal and swinging, <laughs> and that doesn't look heroic at all. It looks like he, they're about ready to plummet to their death. Yeah, and then there was another scene with the rope bridge when it starts shaking. You can tell that somebody, the camera operator, just shook the camera to emulate, like, <laughs> a, and uh, when they show the hero shot of him, like, swinging off of those rope swing, they are so far back that it looks like, I mean, you could have thrown a sack of potatoes and I wouldn't have known. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I think I do see something swinging off of the truck there. 
But my absolute, my absolute favorite line, James Remar saved this movie for me. I just kept thinking about him as Raiden in the Mortal oh, Kombat, yeah. the second one, I think. But he walks in and he's looking at Drax and he says, he won't die. I know. I killed him once and he isn't dead. And then he has the belt. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. He shows him the hole in the belt. Yeah. And plus two, uh, one thing, if, if you've done any research about the Phantom, if you just do a search on Google Images, what will probably come up, you'll probably see um, the comic version and you'll see, yeah, this movie was <laughs> faithful to that, but Billy Zane spends a lot of the movie in a bright purple outfit and it's not an homage to Prince. No. He looks like a great guy. I was... You know, telling Jimmy earlier today, um, the Phantom looks like he got kicked out of the California Raisins because they <laughs> discovered he wasn't a Raisin. Maybe if he was a little bit darker, because he's yeah. more bright purple, not like that wine purple. Yeah, I just imagine that internet meme with him sandwiched in with the California Raisins. Yeah. It's like day five. Nobody's noticed yet. But, um, yeah, so this this movie... One of the other things that I kept thinking about was the coincidence factor, and I think this is another '90s classic. I, I when when I, I imagine when somebody's writing a movie in the '90s, there's a, there's a team of writers around, and someone's like, "Hey, let's do let's do this idea," and someone's like, "No, that doesn't make sense to the plot," and the guy's like, "Well, let's just invent whatever device we have to to make that logical." Pretty like, much. Yeah, like at the very end when Drax has the skulls, the skull laser gun, and points them at Billy Zane and hits Billy Zane right in the ring. And it becomes a Schwartz battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was like, I, I don't want to get too caught up on this. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's ridiculous, but it's not going to ruin the movie. I mean, it's not like, it's not going to make or break the movie for me. Especially everything leading up to that point was mostly nonsensical anyway. Yeah. I mean... The the traveling back and forth aspect of the the Phantom, or if you want to call him Kit as his, you know, regular person identity, but it's like, oh, wait a second. So let me get this straight. You were born on this island, Bagala, but you were educated in New York, but your dad was also the Phantom saving the people on this island. Tell me how that exactly Whoa, works out. You? Yeah. I mean, hey... Uh, going back to Billy Zane being in this movie, this was like prime era Billy Zane. So if you're into Billy Zane with the chiseled arms and abs, as we all probably are, there's a pretty good shot of him in you know the the cave library checking out some ancient scrolls. And yeah, he looks, he's looking good. He looks pretty good in this. And whenever I think about this movie, I always think back to the classic uh, Zoolander cameo that he had. Oh yeah, when he was like, "When are you gonna hit us with Magnum?" And he's got this cult status, and I don't think he's a terrible actor, but I can remember him in Titanic, The Phantom. Demon Knight. Most yeah, importantly, that's right. Demon Knight. Yeah, that's right. Demon Knight and this weird romantic comedy with Cameron Diaz called Head Above Water. And I can't really remember it, and I'm like wondering how we got this like cult status. Like, What did he do in his life that... I don't know. He still gets tons of work. Yeah. If you look at his IMDb profile, a lot of the stuff he's doing, it's not like he's in the biggest blockbusters, but he has had a 
steady stream of work since what you might call his his prime, his golden age. Which anymore, I was uh, actually talking to my fiance about this earlier today, but. Any actor can come back big, like look at Michael Keaton, look at Kurt Russell. I mean, some of these guys are in low-level movies or movies that are just, you know, destroyed critically. Then all of a sudden there's that one role that puts them back in the public eye and then they get more, you know, high-profile roles. So maybe it's time for Billy Zane to have a renaissance. I don't know. I think so. Cause, yeah, like I said, I don't think he's a terrible actor. And I think he's probably at the age where he's can like laugh at himself i mean obviously he's a he's aware that this movie didn't turn out well yeah but i was looking it up on imdb and i didn't realize that there was a remake yeah there was recently. like 2009 there was yeah was it a tv miniseries I, th- I thought there was a movie too or a tv movie of some kind i watched the trailer yeah tv miniseries from 2009 you didn't watch the trailer for it per chance did you no i just saw the artwork and just scanned its its profile on IMDb. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I didn't see it, but I did notice I watched the trailer for it. And um, I don't know what channel it's on, but it looks about like Dread meets Phantom. It's a more appropriately dated outfit. They totally left out the uh, 40s era. It just takes place in modern times. And he's more... It's, it is an origin story, but... Um, there's a scene where they're in a cave and they're showing him his outfit, and they show the actual outfit that Billy Zane wore in the 1996 version. Nice. And they were like, "Go put that on," and the guy goes, "Yeah, I'm not gonna wear that." So that's our nice little nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Which I don't, I, not being really familiar with the Phantom as a comic, it would be hard to say what kind of references that I missed. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. All I knew was just. From the craziness standpoint, it's okay, you know, they're they're on the island, they're these bad guys, they find a skull, and then it's back to New York, and then the Phantom can conveniently become Kit again, and you wonder why people weren't asking about him, because he's just been on this island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's the museum scene, and then... Oh, don't forget the fact that Xander Drax has everyone in his back pocket, and he spears a guy, which is probably my favorite scene. That wasn't Trent Williams, was it? Yeah. Yeah, I think he did great. That He's mustache. my favorite part. He yeah. really hammed it up, but it, it worked well here. I mean, it, it was almost like they uh, they took Jack Nicholson from <laughs> Tim Burton's Batman and then toned him down a little bit. More like, uh, if you can think of the Joker before he fell into the chemicals. Like you get that kind of uh, aesthetic of this guy is a crime boss and he has everybody under his control and nobody wants to cross him because if you do, you're going to die. Yeah. I do love the, um, well, I want to say first the intro to the movie, the voice, the way melodramatic, like way over the top movie theater voice that kind of introduces, um, he just has a couple lines of dialogue, it's all voiceover, but it is so intentionally cheesy, you kind of get the feeling right away like, okay, they know what they're doing, they know what they're trying to make here, because there's like, they really try to hammer in the adventure movie, and aside from Indiana Jones, I can't think of a lot of, like back in the days when adventure and action were two different things, and like Stallone was doing Lock Up and Cobra and uh, uh, 
Arnold was doing his obvious movies, it was either like live action, family fun, or in your face action. Yeah, guns and lots of people and dying. And John Woo. Yeah. Lots but of I guess there was like Cutthroat Island, which was an obvious pirate movie. But yeah, yeah, Phantom. You know, it's it's in the forties. There's a lot of sword play. There's a lot of uh, there's a scene where a lady cuts the rope and a sh- and a net falls on a bunch of guys and they all collapse, which is just wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty awesome. That was awesome. Well, plus to you, you go down this rolodex of of villains if you want to. So um, with Quill, he almost seems to be more of an adventurer type, even though he's a bad guy. I mean, in the the scene that properly opens the action part of the film that's not a flashback, he's essentially dressed like Indiana Jones, and he tries to elbow a little kid in the face, which is kind of <laughs> hilarious. So yeah. it's like, okay, he fits that role, and they're a part of this super evil secret brotherhood. So it's like they're they're trying to put like this occult slant on it because um the uncle in the film was talking about how drax has uh he's requested all these esoteric volumes he's gonna access somebody (laughs) he's gonna access something evil all these dictators are popping up and it's like okay so they're trying to do like an occult mythical approach and then later in the film there are pirates and i don't even know what Catherine zeta jones is supposed to be really she's like i don't know if she's not the pilot yeah it doesn't really even follow the swashbuckler because they're so incredibly i mean the genre and i'm not a uh swashbuckler expert but i have seen a lot of errol flynn films and they're very dated and their sexism are like no female character can ever do anything that's even slightly empowered they all have to be pathetic and helpless and completely dependent on a man Which to her, save their life. Her character, Sawa, is not powerless, but then again, one thing I hate even in movies that aren't very serious is when a character's character completely changes for no reason. Yeah. Sala all of a sudden is, is, is just saying to Diana, oh, hey, girls got to stick together. And then at the end of the film, she's the one who flies Diana back to New York. You're just like, wait. Did I miss something? Yeah. This woman was supposed to be on, you know, uh, Drax's side. But all of a sudden, now that Drax has been, you know, turned into flame. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. The way that the way the way people explode with the lasers was very Mars attacks. Uh, plus, two, if you're if you're interested in a man getting shot with uh, a cannonball, that <laughs> happens after uh, there's this oceanic layer where a descendant of the original thing is just hanging out for some reason they they live in an oceanic layer because that's what pirates do apparently yeah i'm just and, glad you got to say oceanic layer yeah oceanic layer that's one thing i thought of today how how do i introduce oceanic layer into the episode so there i just did that it's just like they're they're pirate ships in there and they're just hanging out uh once once again suspension of disbelief don't bring logic into this if you're thinking how do they eat you know get fresh water don't think about that there's a carrier pigeon that brings them all their food yeah movie magic it doesn't matter like how um i like how the oh devil devil's the dog is just like on board the ship conveniently and just comes in at the right time to you know not people yeah that dog was pretty great what else did i really really like i noticed the sound and the sound editing were really bad and maybe that was intentional too and it's when you watch a movie you know, I mentioned that at the beginning they kind of poke fun 
at what they're trying to make. Not to the point where they're making a parody, but they're very well aware that they're like trying to be a little cheesy. But when movies do that, I feel like there's this easy out that if there's a mistake that we make, if there's a plot hole that we make, that they can just chalk it up to like, yeah, that's satire. You know, like, yeah, we did that sound editing on purpose because the sound was really bad. Like some of the punch sound effects, it sounded like a baseball bat hitting plywood. (laughs) Well, that's what happens when you hit another person, right? It sounds like a baseball bat hitting plywood. I have been in many fights, but not recently. So, yeah. See, when when I punch people because I do enjoy punching people a lot, that's what I do. It sounds more like, you know, two frying pans banging together. Cling, cling, cling. Mm, I but can other hear it now. other than that, an, another thing that really didn't stand out would be the music. Yeah. It's like they they took it from they could have taken it from an Airbud movie. Yeah, it, it just I remember that one song from the trailer. For whatever reason, I feel like I have eight uh, movies that all have the Phantom trailers on it. I know Congo's one. I know Face Off is one. I think Contact is one as well. I don't know. I was on. Instagram and discovered this whole underbelly of VHS collector sites. (laughs) And it's these dudes who they'll post like their walls of VHS um, and like the show, just show the spine of the tape. And they'll say like basket case three, Mad Max beyond Thunderdome and no escape up for trades four, and then like list off all the movies they want to trade. And they'll have like eight bucks shipped as like standard rate for, VHS. It was weird. Instagram, you evil. I know. It was it was excellent. But um, yeah, I didn't really notice the music too much. But I remember <clears throat> just that one song from the trailer that they like looped for a while. Now when I think of the movie, all I can think of is an Indiana Jones theme. Yeah. Because it would almost fit for most of the action. And I think... It's like well, the same gonna... era. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, when was uh, Last Crusade, would you guess? <sighs> Nine, I was that 90s the early, for sure, but early, yeah, early nineties maybe. I'm gonna look it up. I'm not 100 percent sure because unless I check it, a lot of times I'm terrible with release dates of movies I haven't watched recently. So you know, that's what I do. Well, plus two. Um, what one thing worth mentioning that we haven't mentioned? Eighty nine. Oh, wow. Well, maybe I'll not. Be, well, I'll be colored purple. One thing we haven't mentioned so. We, we talked about with this movie, there is a combination of, of influences or possible points of reference. Like you say, oh, maybe this got made because of Dick Tracy or The Shadow, Indiana Jones, Tim Burton's Batman. Uh, one thing I found, because I, I didn't know a lot about this Phantom character, the Phantom is older than Superman and Batman. So this character predates both of... Two Comic of the book-wise? Fun- yeah. That's so this character predates two of the fundamental superheroes, like the foundational superheroes that obviously are the, uh, yeah, I would say almost the foundation, you know, like everybody compares every superhero that comes along to them and what they've done over, you know, at this point, almost 80 years. But I don't know much about the Phantom's history because it seems like there was probably a point where this character dropped off the map because of how old school he was. I mean, think about, let's just pick the 60s and the 
Avengers and all the technology they had access to, who really won once at that point a superhero who rides a horse in the jungle. Yeah, because you must imagine, that's really cool that it's the oldest, I had no idea, but you must imagine that, you must imagine. You will imagine. That, <laughs> that so many people passed on the Phantom before it got turned into a movie. You know, like the first Batman, Adam West Batman, and like the first uh, Spider-Man movie that I remember seeing was in the 90s, but... And those were not, well, whatever, we'll save that for another day. But yeah, so you imagine so many people must have like looked at the Phantom's resume and they're like, yeah, no, we'll call you back. Thanks for coming in. And uh, maybe there was a reason for that. Probably because I was just looking at the covers of the Phantom comics and I don't know how this got greenlit except for the reasons we, we mentioned before, like maybe using other successful movies and saying, hey, we're going to emulate this movie that grows this much and that movie that grows this much and put our own twist on it. Twist being don't make any sense and not really follow a whole lot in terms of like continuity mm-hmm. or, you know, and also don't really develop the characters. <laughs> that's the thing that's that's yeah. probably like the, the biggest flaw. Like with superhero movies like this or action adventure movies, uh, it's probably more action adventure, like you mentioned, Jimmy. Sometimes you can have throwaway characters and make it work because the action is done well with this one. I was really entertained, but I don't really think it was intentional the whole time. Why I was laughing? Yeah, <laughs> because I, know, I, I think point. so too. I mean, there was because there were some parts that were kind of classic '90s, you know, like uh, the. What drove me crazy was, if you haven't seen this, I'll try to paint this picture. Uh, the Phantom and his damsel are on a like a little biplane, and they're going to jump out of the plane onto a horse that's riding on the ground below. And so they're about 20 feet away from each other, and the girl is like, what are we going to do? And the Phantom's like, get ready. Like, that's a dick move. No, tell me what we're going to do. Don't give me some cute, we're going to get, don't tell me to get ready. And so he like strategically lines up this jump and then like drops and he lands right onto the horse and splits his taint wide open. And then the girl's like, no, I can't do that. And then she, she looked kind of silly doing it, but she like, it looks like she accidentally fell off the plane and then like perfectly landed the stick onto the horse, which makes it not as cool that the phantom did it. It's like, you could have just. Slipped on a banana peel and you still would have landed on the horse. Banana could have been the the, the Phantom for all we know. I mean, it might be. she could have taken over the Phantom mantle. Maybe he, in a future iteration, ends up passing away and doesn't have a son. Even though I think that ended up happening in the comics. I think he married oh, okay. her. Because, yeah, there were two planned sequels that, yeah, not so much. I liked when he hopped down the laundry chute. That was pretty awesome. Oh, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. That was cool. I like it. Full of women. Yeah, exactly. I liked at the end when uh, the guy, uh, who was that uh, Chinese actor that was in everything in the 90s? I don't remember. He was in the shadow, but he's like, he has a sword to the Phantom and he's like backing him up. And behind the Phantom is a swimming pool full of sharks and a rope just hanging right next to the Phantom. That's just, just a rope, real strong rope. And so. This Asian samurai says something really clever to the Phantom and then lunges for him. And Billy Zane just very casually reaches the rope, 
kicks off of the wall. I don't know. I feel like that probably looked better in the script. And the elevator thing, too. So he's about to be crushed yeah. by an elevator, and he just, you know, somersaults out of the elevator shaft. And it's supposed to be impressive, but you think to yourself, that was okay, I guess. Yeah. That's the thing, too. And that's probably one of the bigger weaknesses if you want to go a little bit old school and have everything set in the 30s that's okay you just have to play up that atmosphere a little bit or else it's not going to look impressive compared to you know movies that are being released that year or the next year um speaking of which movies released the next year do you know what uh superhero film came out after this in 1997 what's that not shadow batman and robin Oh, and the reason I I thought of that too is you know looking at God I'd rather watch the Phantom. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Uh, it's kind of curious how Hollywood treated the viewing audience then versus how they treat the audience now. Even though there's Word. still a lot of catching up to do, I have read a couple of really great graphic novels that were released in 1986. Very well known. Um, Alan Moore's Watchmen, which Zack Snyder eventually turned into a film. Let's not talk about that. Um, yeah, and, I don't think that ever happened. Yeah. And then um, Frank Miller's uh, The Dark Knight Returns. The reason I mentioned those is because those are very much R-rated. They're very dark, but they actually sold very, very well as comic books. You would think Hollywood would say, hey, wait a second. Maybe we can take these stories and do something with them. But they defaulted to things like The Phantom and Batman and Robin and... Um, like, even with Batman and Robin, okay, let's look at Mr. Freeze. His origin story is very depressing because originally what he did, at least in the comics, was um, he was like a, a cryogenics expert, I believe. And the reason he turned into Mr. Freeze is because he was trying to save his terminally ill wife. That's pretty dark, but then... Yeah, and then kept her alive, right? In a tank? Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, wait, Arnold Schwarzenegger smoking a cigar, wearing a bathrobe? okay made of ice yeah so that's that's what they were trying to push on people where i think um when blade came along that really changed the game because that showed you know the powers that be that you can go gritty and dark with a a superhero even have um an anti-hero be your lead and make it work because people don't want to always see oh hey it's the goody two-shoes hero who saves the day which totally that makes you think of um oh Evil Dead too. Little goody two shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm dancing right now with my arms. You can't see that out there. <laughs> Work shed. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's a that's an that's a good point because I feel like uh, Blade showed us that you can have an R rating and still make money. Yeah. Whereas if Blade was released in like '95 or '96, one, it wouldn't have been released, or two, it would have been rated PG-13 and been very very cheesy because. It's darkness is its best weapon in that movie because we had already seen, an, you know, a, an onslaught of vampire movies from, like, teen heartthrob vampire movies to epics like Interview with the Vampire to, like, Lost Boys. So to do another vampire movie was probably a little bit of a gamble, but yeah. we hadn't really seen him like that. And I think Mr. Freeze, as ridiculous as this character is, was probably one of the better parts of that movie because <laughs> for the entertainment value, but also you, there's no way that you can take that movie seriously with Mr. Freeze in there. Yeah, with so, the way he's portrayed. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty cheesy. And then, oh, another thing worth mentioning as far as like comic book success goes versus you know what 
properties were then turned into films. Uh, in 1993, DC came out with an imprint called Vertigo, which was very much inspired by uh, the two graphic novels I had mentioned before, The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen. Like they were looking at the audience that was more mature and they were successful at it. So you would think with that success in 1993 and the proven success, you know, seven years before in 1986, that somebody would perk up and say, hey, let's get on board with this. But uh, no, I guess not. I guess if you're if you're looking at, okay, maybe Vertigo as the indicator, um, Six years for Blade. Blade was what, 1999? Was it 99? Sometime around 99. Yeah, good call. Blade was 98. 98, yeah. So, yeah, After Titanic, but before The Matrix. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it, I think. Yeah. I mean, Blade pretty much takes all the qualities of Titanic and makes them better, right? Yeah, kind of. I always use Titanic as a landmark because I feel like that was the first time that special effects and CGI were used to not tell a, like, over-the-top explosions and action, an action scene. You know, I, I think that was the first movie that we took really, really seriously. Well, most people did. I love Titanic. I'll be honest with you. I can probably quote the whole movie. But, and it also kind of uh, set the standard and set the bar for, I think, storytelling and also uh, CGI because it showed that that was possible, so forced other studios to step up their game. And something else I wanted to mention too, when I meant when I was talking about how movies are preserved in time, let's look at some other movies that were released the same year as The Phantom. 1996, we're in a time machine. <laughs> so we got Independence Day, Mission Impossible, Twister, Jerry Maguire, Scream. Oh wow. Train Spotting from Dusk Till Dawn. Eraser, The Rock, Fargo, Biodome, Ransom, The Birdcage, The Nutty Professor, uh, Mars Attacks. Woo! Mention that. Yeah. I like that one. Oh, and Space Jam. Who could forget? A lot, of, a lot of good movies. And The Phantom is better than all of them because that's our best film of all time. Not yeah, the Phantom, the, Phantom is, the Phantom is pretty good. Yeah, and the same goes for the character. As you were saying with the development, the character of The Phantom, Billy Zane's character, Kit Walker, he wasn't really endearing. He wasn't funny enough to be lovable, and he wasn't serious enough to be badass. You have no idea who he is. Yeah. It's just like, hey, this is, you know, my true identity, you know, with my human name. But you never really get a sense of, okay, so here's what the film could have done. I'll back up a step. So early in the movie, um, Kit Walker is talking to this ghost who is his dad. And his dad looks (laughs) like he might be, you know... Hugh Hefner because he has a really cool robe and you might be able to as the movie goes along kind of figure out that his dad was once the Phantom and Kit Walker has taken over as the Phantom but they could probably make Kit Walker more interesting if they focused on okay so if this kid was traveling back and forth from this this island which I know in um, the comics it was an African island to New York what did that do to him psychologically? Did he have some kind of resentment toward his father? But that's the kind of stuff that the the Phantom simply doesn't explore because everything mm-hmm. is basically at surface level. Uh, I know there's uh, a quote, which I'm going to paraphrase because I'm not good at remembering quotes. Um, who was it that said that? Oh, Hemingway. I think he was talking about stories and he said, a really great story is uh, 
kind of like an iceberg where you have this, you know, 20% that's what you can see. And then there's 80% that's below the surface. The fandom doesn't point to anything being below the surface, really. No, and it's really funny, too, because I was complaining about or praising it for not being an origin story. But I kind of would have liked a little... I mean, they are very brief about it, but I mean, I feel like I would probably be um, a little hesitant to take on that role. That's a lot of pressure. Teens are angsty enough as it is, let alone being asked to be a superhero and dress in purple. Yeah, Do you think that's the same great. costume that's been in the family for generations? I think at some point they'd want to upgrade it with technology. I mean, I almost see the original Phantom being like Tarzan with a mask or something. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I know. And I mean, I mean, I know that the, they went with purple because the original comic book is purple, but they didn't really explain like, so why the purple? I mean, purple's fine. And I think it... It's the color of royalty. <laughs> <laughs> it stands out. I mean... I love the Superman movies from uh, the 80s, but I don't really think the Superman story is that incredibly interesting. And I think they're, a big reason for that is because they made, a, hero, they made a, a superhero. I know we're talking about Superman now, but they made a superhero with too few faults. And I think that uh, when you have a character like that, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, I mean, that villain that just got introduced is scary, but he's Superman. I mean, he's got kryptonite, obviously, but other than that, he's pretty much invincible, and uh, yeah, his story is pretty easily fleshed out. And I don't know, I like they're they're endearing the Superman movies are, but the actual like narrative story, it's like uh, it's okay. I'm shocked nobody knows that it's Superman. I guess the whole Kill Bill idea that like Superman is the alter ego, whereas, like, when Peter Parker goes to bed, he's Peter Parker, and when Bruce Wayne goes to bed, he's Bruce Wayne, but Superman goes to bed Superman, and he wakes up Superman. He's always he's always Superman. Clark Kent is the alter ego. So I guess that's interesting, but... I thought the Phantom had a pretty interesting story. It would have been interesting to... I Did I say interesting, like, nine times? Ah, uh, just a couple. It'd be, it'd be very interesting, so we'll see. I mean, there there'd be a lot of possibilities if they wanted to fully explore his character. I almost get the sense if you're looking at the comics, and this is me judging them by just literally the covers. So if you're out there and you're a huge fan of the originals and I'm misjudging this, I apologize. But it seems like with the comics generally of that era, it is whisk you to here and there and everywhere, but it's in the frame of just, you know, a few pages you try to take a few pages and stretch it out to the length of... Actually, this one was a little bit longer than uh, most feature lengths by about 10 minutes. That's where you run into issues because you have something, on one hand, the original comic that is easily consumed probably within 20 minutes, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. So you don't really ask for the things we've talked about, which is you know character development. And you can also do that over time if need be. That's a great thing about novels in a series or comics this movie no not at all and it may sound like i'm being harsh on the movie because i am in some regards but at the same time kind of terrible it's kind of terrible but it's terrible in a way that i enjoy yeah because i really wasn't expecting any kind of development with people going in because i i've seen this movie before like way in the past and i'm a big fan of of you know 
B-movies, even if they're unintentional B-movies. And this also shows that Netflix doesn't know my taste because I think for me it ranked this as like two stars where for me this would be like three out of the five stars because of yeah. the unintentional humor and just the overall ridiculous nature of, hey, here's a submarine and, oh, look, we're going to have a battle with uh, skull eye lasers and, hey, look, it's a samurai pirate. Yeah, I know. It's definitely one of those movies that's not for everybody. And even when I say that I enjoyed it, I feel like I got to clarify, like, uh, we made, we joked about Stu because Stu generally does not have a lot of like forgiveness for like cheesiness. He just, he doesn't enjoy it. It doesn't, doesn't make him wrong. It doesn't make him, you know, bad or, or whatever. You watch a movie for your own reasons. But, uh, when we did the room, we were, we both loved it. And like, I think, I think Stu is like really like offended that I asked him to watch it. If he could kill the movie, he would. I mean, if if that film could take, you know, any kind of, um, living, breathing form, he would probably, kill it very he, violently. he would have he would have run it over with his car yeah so, multiple times yeah he would have backed up over the room the the person yeah because it it's not terribly. you know there's like a, a set of rules that films can follow on like on which they're judged and uh phantom would fall short on most of those but you know you like you like a movie for your own reasons some of my some of my favorite movies are movies that everybody hates um or movies that someone's like, you can't like that. That's a bad movie. No, it's just a movie that you didn't like. You can't call it a bad movie. I think what they really need to do is whoever owns the rights to The Phantom, because somebody probably does, like the film rights, is go way out there with some kind of crossover. I'm thinking like um, The Phantom and uh, the Toxic Avenger battle, I don't know, whatever film rights are up in the air for, like, one of those old Godzilla monsters. Yeah, yeah, Lloyd Kaufman needs to get in on that. There's, uh, I was looking at this Kickstarter project earlier today because I like to go around and look at Kickstarter projects. But um, Lloyd Kaufman was back in this one project. I thought that was pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think, really, if you take somebody who might be a fan of the original comics plus a fan of this movie there's a lot of great stuff that's just fan made even if they did like a sweeted version of the phantom which may exist that'd probably be great because i think a story like this is meant for a much shorter format like if you made a short film it could be one of the best you know most entertaining um you know even like uproarious if you wanted to play the the humor up a little bit Uh but the way it is in film form um I'd almost suggest if you wanted to watch this, like pause it in certain points and get up and walk around. That's kind of what I did. I came back <laughs> a bit refreshed. Yeah, you got to take breaks from this film. Yeah, because it is a little bit much, and uh, they really do go from like point A to point Z back to you know point Y a lot. So this is kind of what we uh, we touched on in the Total Recall remake. Even though the difference being that that film took itself way seriously. But if you're watching a movie and it's pretty much like one long action sequence or one long chase and there aren't really a lot of breaks, sometimes that gets exhausting for you as a viewer. Yeah, I feel like they skipped around to try to bring the most action-packed movie. But in doing that, they kind of made a mistake because there's a lot of parts that are like quote-unquote action that they're not very engaging to me personally. And a lot of that is because of, like you mentioned, I don't really care about the characters. I haven't been explained really what their goals 
and objectives are I don't I don't find them funny I don't find them cute so I'm not really rooting for anybody in this movie so I mean I guess I don't want Billy Zane to die because he's got really pretty eyes and true he was cut up like an action figure in this movie I guess he worked out for a year before filming and then shaved his head for the scenes that he wore the hood because he wanted it to look the absolute best so they means in the movie Kit Walker has hair so they had to film all those scenes first um but yeah, he really turned it out for this movie. I'm sorry it did so poorly, but I'm not I'm not blind as to why. I knew that Drax wouldn't win, but I was rooting for him to get some kind of victory, whether it was that cheesy thing where you think he's gone even though he, I guess he got blown up if they had, you know, had him meet his supposed demise some other way, like maybe he got I don't know, uh a little bit of the skull laser and it grazed his arm, and he falls in the water, and he's floating away face down. You know, the old horror movie cliche of all of a sudden he he turns over and his eyes are closed, but then all of a sudden his eyes open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he, he comes back in the sequel as uh, somebody who can, I don't know, control sharks? Yeah. I don't I know. know. <laughs> I, they should have, like, had some sort of false death, and then he gets buried alive and then his hand comes up through the grave i don't know something something cheesy cuz it happens in i don't know if it happened in these comics but that's something that um comic books in general due to death even when it's superheroes i mean superman has died captain america has died um robin died but i think it's robin has been different people after his initial death so killing off characters is something that's that's done a lot. Oh, um, Quicksilver and Age of Ultron. Um, so even in film, it happens. So I think it would have been pretty easy to not ha- have his death be permanent, but maybe they knew when they were making it. Maybe that was a script changer. Like, uh, they greenlit a sequel, but not after they're going to see this. We better <laughs> yeah, kill yeah, off yeah. Drax. We better. Everybody dies at the end. <laughs> then all the, yeah, I mean, for this movie, it would have made sense if, you know, uh, so here's Sala coming in. She picks up Diana. They fly away, and all of a sudden, a bomb drops out of the sky and destroys everything. And then there's a voiceover saying, "And then they all died." Yeah, and no one ever came back. That's pretty much all I got to say about the Phantom. I'd still watch, and this is another thing that would probably make Stu outraged. I'd rather watch the Phantom than the Phantom Menace. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm I think I would probably rather watch the Phantom Menace, but those are two very difficult movies to compare. <laughs> I know. I'm just doing it for the sake for the, of for the stew val- for the stew value for the stew value and we should have a stew scale. Yeah. How would this rank on the stew scale? It's kind of like it's kind of like you know the Scoville units for peppers. You know, yeah, is yeah, it gonna? Yeah. Which I I can't remember how high it gets like the the range of of numbers like the Scoville. Yeah. So we'll need to come up with something. I think this one would be pretty high, not the this highest. Would be like a seven point eight. Yeah. Yeah, do, you think, do you think Stu would rather watch The Room or The Blair Witch Project? Probably The Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Just because I think he saw, even though he hated The Blair Witch Project, more of a point to it. Yeah. Because it it made sense from like a linear perspective, even though there's For really not a whole lot that happens. With The Room... It's really nonsensical, and there are things that happen, and the characters say things that no humans, real humans, say. Yeah, so see, that's why I would choose the that's room. My, that's my reason Yeah, for him probably hating the room 
more than Blair Witch. So the room would be definitely that might be the peak of the Stu scale if that's a ten. If it does a stew, that's got to be a. 10. Does it go up to? What a, did he what hate? It, he, There's nothing one, he hated more. That that I think. Well, that's, death proof. Death proof. Well, he said that. What he liked, he liked the movie, but he didn't agree with. Yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Good point. Something along those lines. I, so, I think Blair Witch and the Room were the worst. So I think, if we're looking at a scale of zero to whatever, with whatever being the highest, let's just say the Room is like an eleven, and then. Because that one would definitely go up to 11 for him. Yeah, yeah. Blair Witch is probably 9.5 to 10, and I think Death Proof might be almost as... Uh, like an 8, maybe? Maybe a, about the same place as the Phantom. Huh. Okay. I like that. Um, and this is also... This is the man who brought us Battlefield Earth as well, too, for our bad movie episode. So we have Yeah, to he's the one who brought that, that to us. And he's the one who gives us shit... For some of the movies Stu we pick, he brought us Battlefield Earth. Come on! Stu giveth and Stu taketh away. So next week, uh, I chose a little indie Netflix horror flim that I liked called They Look Like People. If you want to watch it, uh, it's on Netflix and it's streaming. And if you don't have Netflix, just give me a shout and I'll give you my Netflix a name and password. Because it's on his password. So No, I'm not going to do that. Don't do that. But I'll is. give you my bootleg DVD. <laughs> we see you with that bootleg. It's oh actually just God. me filming my feet accidentally. It, I'm pretty sure that they look like people was a Kickstarter project because um, probably it's like the most hipster indie like art house. I don't know. I liked it. We'll talk about it next week. Watch it. See what you think. Give us a shout at the Facebook Movie Show Theater page, and you can come and record an episode with us, or you can just tell us what to watch. I would like to get some more requests. You've been listening to 90.7 WAZU. Until next week, I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Ben Snowden. And that's it. And we're Movie Show Theater. Show Theater. Show Theater. Show Theater. We're Movie Show Theater. I'm a man I still am
Tschüssi.